0: Cruise lines are complex businesses, relying on thousands of passionate and knowledgeable people. Recently, we were lucky enough to get to know one of those people a little better and learn more about his rise to the top of one of the largest cruise companies in the world. On this episode, we sit down and chat with the president and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, Mr. Frank Del Rio. You're about to set sail on the Cruise Habit Podcast, an audio voyage through the world of ships, ports, and beyond. Welcome aboard. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to call out a couple things that you might want to check out over on CruiseHabit.com. First, we recently toured Carnival Conquest, and we've got pictures, videos, as well as my take on the 110,000-ton Fort Lauderdale-based ship. Also, Virgin Voyages announced their first ship, Scarlet Lady, will feature an onboard record store. We talk about this and more around Virgin's sonic identity. That could be something really interesting. We're seeing all sorts of neat announcements from them. Lastly, in just a moment, you are going to hear Norwegian Cruise Line Holding CEO talk about a number of things, including ship refurbishments. NCL Sky just came out of a major three-week dry dock where the staterooms, the public spaces, everything was overhauled. We've got details and, of course, photos over on cruisehabit.com. So I have the uh, distinct pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Frank Del Rio, who and uh, you have many titles. I'll, I'll try and go with uh, the big one and get it right. You're the uh, CEO and President of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Correct. Is that correct. How you doing? Uh, I, I'm honored to be here. I'm fantastic. I'm glad you're here. So uh, so thank you uh, again for for making the time. Uh, it's not a not every day that we get a guest quite like this. So. Um, you know, there there's so many things of course I want to ask you and, and talk about and just get your, your insight on um, whether around uh, Norwegian cruise lines or just how, how all of this happened how you got here yeah <laughs> um, sometimes I wonder but you know, so maybe here. that's a, a good place to, to start if it's okay with you um, I mean for for some listeners who, who don't know uh, and correct me if I have anything wrong you're, you're born in Cuba yeah. You moved here, uh, moved to the U.S. Or around seven years old. Yeah,
1: so we uh, we left Havana on August twenty second, nineteen sixty one, a few weeks before my seventh birthday, and uh, uh, moved to New Britain, Connecticut. Why New Britain? It's because my father had a brother and a sister, my uncle and my aunt, who uh, who had been living in New Britain, Connecticut, way before the Cuban Revolution started, and so. Uh, back then, we thought the revolution would end in a week or two, maybe a month, and we'd go visit Aunt Sarah and Uncle Benny, and we'd be back in Havana before you know it. Well, we lived there 10 years before uh, my parents decided that it was time to move to warmer climate, and we arrived in Miami in time for, my, um, for the start of 10th grade. And on my first day in this new high school that I had never visited, had never seen before, I knew no one there. First period Algebra two class, I walk in for uh, late, because I'm always late in the morning, and um, it was pretty packed and there were only two empty seats and one seat was next to a guy and one was next to a girl. So I sat next to the girl and I went back Tuesday, Wednesday. By Thursday, I figured out three things. She, she wasn't bad looking, she did her homework every night, and most importantly, she let me copy it every morning. So I ended up marrying her. And today, uh, Marcia is, uh, has been my wife of uh, 45 years, and uh, we have two children and five grandchildren and live happily here in, in Miami. Um, so that's sort of the start of my life. Um, went to the University of Florida uh, on a track scholarship. I wasn't always short and fat. I was, uh, used to be short and skinny. And I used to run the mile, and I was um, a pretty good miler, a half miler, and that's how I got to college. Graduated from college and um, as an accounting major. Marsha was also an accounting major. She went to class. I hardly ever did. Because uh, I had to work. Uh, we were relatively poor. Our families were poor. And uh, by that time, I had stopped running because I couldn't be married I couldn't run track and I couldn't get good grades. Uh, one of them had to give and so I gave up track and I had to work. But we graduated college and uh, uh, became a CPA, went to work for a public accounting firm. Um, hated being an accountant because all you do with an accountant is record someone else's history. You're not making history yourself and I wanted to make my own history. So I bounced around jobs in the accounting world and finally got my break when I joined a company in Fort Lauderdale called Certified Vacations that used to be the private label operator for Delta Airlines. When you thought you were calling Delta Airlines to buy a Delta Dream vacation, you were really calling Certified. And there I met a gentleman named Ed Rutner who was the CEO of uh, Certified Vacations. He left after a few years uh, of uh, of him and I working together. And uh, he bought Renaissance Cruises and he took me with him. And so this was in 1993, and I learned uh, the cruise business under Ed in Renaissance Cruises. Renaissance went bankrupt. Well, I got fired from Renaissance before the bankruptcy, about six months before the bankruptcy, in April of 2001. Um, And then 9-11 came, and two weeks after 9-11, Renaissance went bankrupt. And the French government that had financed all these brand-new ships that Renaissance had ordered, the so-called R-ships, of which today Oceania owns four, um, uh, the French government repossessed. And after the dust settled about a year later, the French government reached out to me. Would I be interested in starting a new cruise line with their support using some of the Renaissance ships that were being laid up in Marseille, France? And twice I said no to them. And the third time they convinced me to throw my hat in the ring, um, we won the the RFP, if you will. There were other competitors for these ships, and um, on January third, two thousand and three, with a whopping seven million dollars in capital that we had raised from, you know, dozens of uh, 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 investors, friends, and family. My parents, my sister, I bet the farm. Uh, every dollar that I had, uh, I uh, I invested in the company we launched Oceana Cruises Um, and six months later to the day we actually operated our first sailing on board our new uh, our first vessel regatta and uh, nine months later we took delivery of our second ship insignia all from the french government who were feeding me these ships a little at a time so that i wouldn't you know overdose on inventory the third ship came along in uh, november of 2005 And in February of 2007, we sold a majority of the company to one of the largest private equity firms in the world, Apollo Management. Uh, We sold 58% of the company for $850 million. So that was a really good payday um, and an incredible uh, turn of events that we were able to go from being a startup on January of 2003 to selling uh, a majority of the company for that much money Uh, three and a half years later. Uh, With Apollo, we then uh, bought Regent seven seas cruises from the Carlson companies of TGIF fame, and so Prestige Cruise Holding was born in that Prestige-owned Oceana, Prestige-owned Regent. Um, Apollo was now the majority shareholder. I was the second largest shareholder, along with all the other investors who had raised that $7 million a few years earlier. And we operated this wonderful company called Prestige Cruise Holdings until November of 2014 when Norwegian Cruise Lines bought 100% of Prestige for $3.3 billion. And that was another good day. And then I thought uh, I was done. Um, I had just turned 60. Um, I had been very uh, uh, lucky to have made... uh, uh, enough money that I didn't have to work anymore and I thought I was done. Primarily because as most mergers um, take place, the acquiring company is in charge and the, their management team stays in place and the management team of the acquired company typically is let go in one way or another. And, and that was going to be my fate. In fact, it was my fate. And it was my fate for six weeks until the evening of uh, New Year's Day, 2015, about 10 o'clock, and then I got a phone call from the lead director of the company of Norwegian Cruise Lines, who I knew very well because they were also involved with uh, Prestige Cruise Holdings, and uh, wanted to see me the next day, and um, and said you got to come back and run all three companies, uh, hmm. and so here I am. Um, people still ask me, so Frank, tell me again how. Do- how did you pull that off? How did you sell the company and then take it over? <laughs> and uh, I tell them I was uh, minding my own business, uh, watching TV, recovering from uh, a heck of a New Year's Eve party the night before, and um, God has just blessed me with that opportunity, and I'm having the the time of my life.
0: Well, I, I, I certainly hope that the, the next statement doesn't uh, seem like I'm taking away from all of your hard work in your entire life, but it seems like... Uh, a lot of things. We're just a series of things that just happened. Yeah, like really remarkable. I mean, I'm the
1: luckiest guy in the world. I, uh, I, I, I insist on that. And people say, "Oh no, you know, you make your own luck." Yeah, you 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 do make your own luck along the way uh, here and there. But but really, um, uh, I've been blessed, and I've been blessed to work with some wonderful people that has allowed us to be as successful as we were. When we started Oceana with a whopping seven million dollars no one gave us a chance to to succeed. Here we were uh, a bunch of misfits. I didn't exactly have the world's best reputation at the time. I had been fired from renaissance cruises. Um, most travel agents hated my guts um, and uh, I had no money in one old or one used vessel. Not exactly the, the winning uh, recipe uh, in the cruise business, but somehow um, we made it, and uh, and I would say that we made it pretty big. Right. And, and one of the most remarkable things is that uh, all 12 of my first 12 employees that I recruited to join me to form this fledging company called Oceana are still with me. Wow. We've become a family. And um, um, we don't want to break up that family. We thought we were going to have to when we yeah. sold, and um, and that was a, a great surprise and a great gift that that New Year's Day when we were able to, to stay together.
0: Well, it, there there's so many things that strike me about that story, uh, maybe the least important of which is $7 million. I think you probably couldn't recarpet uh, half of the NCL fleet with $7 million right now. You, you certainly uh, couldn't <laughs> even fill the tanks on half the fleet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the very beginning, so so you, it's funny. My my grandfather actually went to University of Florida and was an accountant, and he too didn't end up uh, doing much with accounting. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure what that says about University of Florida. <laughs> well, it might say more about accounting. Uh, sure, fair enough. But you know, accounting
1: is a great profession to learn business. Uh, I wouldn't have changed a, a thing in my in my past, in my certain line, in my studies. Um, uh, I think accounting prepares you uh the, the best of any of the of, in any of the business majors i i always believe the smartest people in the room are the accountants
0: so you mentioned your your um, first entry into travel with uh um, with was it was a delta Certi- dream vacation yeah certified vacations yeah. um were you aiming at that point in your life to go into travel? I mean, certainly your, your education was somewhat portable in terms yeah. of industry.
1: No, I wasn't. I was, uh, again, minding my own business one day, uh, working uh, as a, an internal auditor at Florida Power and & Light. And the phone rang, and it was a recruiter that this company in Fort Lauderdale was looking for a, a head of internal audit. Would I be interested? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested. Little did I know that this company, Certified Vacation, was really looking for a chief financial officer, but didn't want to advertise mm. it as such, so as not to alert the incumbent that his job was in jeopardy. And so uh, I got the job and uh, became the CFO of Certified Vacations. Learned to travel vacation on the business side, and the the fellow who was the uh, the president, and CEO of the company, who. I consider to be my mentor in the travel business, Ed Rutner, um, um, gave me the opportunity to switch from being the financial guy to being the sales and marketing guy. And um, I'm not sure that that meant that I was a really bad accountant or that Ed had incredible vision that there was something <laughs> that he saw in me that uh, he thought would be successful in the sales and marketing arena. And I think... Uh, it was a little bit of both, probably.
0: So, throughout that journey, um, was there a point? I mean, it, you said yourself, you thought after, um, after Norwegian Purchase Prestige, you thought, well, I'm yeah. done. And, and you sound like, tell me if I'm wrong, you sound like you were okay with that thought. Yeah, I was 60
1: years old. Uh, you know, I was old enough to, to retire. Maybe I would have done something else, but I didn't really have any plans. Sure. I was at peace with myself because we had done a great job at Prestige, I had made a lot of money for the investors, I had made a lot of money for my uh, management team, and I had made some money for myself. And so it was a very satisfying time, and I was glad to see Prestige going to a a large reputable um, publicly traded cruise line, I knew that it would be a good home. Um, for her and her fleet and her customers so it was good and um, uh, it was a holiday season and it was just uh, happy times.
0: Was there a point before or after uh, NCL came into the picture as as the 100% owner of uh, Prestige was there a point that you looked around and went wow I think I've I think I've really done something right here. (laughs) Uh,
1: well, you know, um, you don't have time to reflect too much. Uh, there was a lot of work to do. Uh, the merger had just taken place. And so there was a lot of integration work that needed to take place to bring the, the two companies, the three brands together. Um, there were two corporate cultures, very different cultures that had to be melded. And one of the cultures had to win over the other there was the synergies or the cost savings, if you will, that um, Wall Street were promised in this, uh, in this uh, combination of companies that had to be um, harvested. And so there was a very, very busy time, and um, I don't think there was a whole lot of, holy cow, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, look, at where, what, look what we did. It was, uh, I think a lot of the, not a lot, I think every single person at the Prestige Brands were just ecstatic that we can keep our family together and now join a new family that we thought we could bring a lot to the table to make better, and I think it's exactly what's happened.
0: The from what I understand, you you were very involved um, with very hands-on, we'll say, with with Oceana, um, and. I would guess that you know maybe at the very beginning it's because there were 12 of you and well someone's cleaning the bathroom (laughs) but uh you know subsequent to that uh it seems like a a really deep level of involvement must have been because you had a passion for certain things and i'm I'm curious as to what those um, passions were because clearly they were strong enough that after after ncl happened you went, Yeah, I'm. I'm good coming back. So, what are those passions in, in the whether whether in the industry itself or yeah. with Oceana, with NCL, and you know, well, in how the does that early work?
1: years, um, I wouldn't have called it a passion. It was more of a necessity. We had no money. We had to compete with the big guys, and we had one little ship, and so um, we all we were all uh, uh, pitching in to do whatever we needed to do. Uh, you never saw a group of people work so hard. Work so well together to accomplish a single goal, and uh, that'll be forever um, our our most the, the fondest memories we can have in the business. If you if you pulled these these people I'm referring to, they will all tell you it was the best time of their lives, the most uh, the most tr- stressful time of their lives. We we had all this work to do, very little money, very little time to get it done, and so it was terrific. Um, but things evolve, and if, to be a good manager, you can't micromanage. You have to depend on your team, and uh, I have a fantastic team. I wouldn't trade my team for for anyone out there. Mano a mano, we think we can beat uh, anyone out there, and, and we do, uh, in, in just about every way you can think of. Um, but as things evolve, as the company grows, you've got to become more specialized as opposed to... Uh, being a generalist, we were all over the place. And so over time, I have focused on uh, building the ships, refurbishing the ships. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't care how uh, creative your marketing is, how slick your salespeople are. You have to deliver on the product. And uh, that's what's, that is what is sustainable. And so I focus on the product. I focus on the ships. I focus on the cuisine, the service on the ships. Uh, I focus on how to market that product. Um, and um, and within Furbishing the Ships, you know, I'm infamous for focusing on the artworks. And that's simply because when, at the beginning, we didn't have a vice president in charge of art. Someone had to clean the bathrooms or <laughs> purchase the art. And so I said, how hard can it be? I'll do it. <laughs> and it turns out that it's a lot harder than... Uh, than I thought, but it's a lot of fun, and um, um, you know the passion just keeps on, and I think that's one of the one of the you know, proudest um, accomplishments that I, I think we've been able to achieve here is that we've instilled that passion throughout the organization. I was reading an article um, just last week in the Wall Street Journal where two thirds of workers in the country. Are unengaged or disengaged from their job they go through the motions or their hearts not in it and that's why productivity in the US has slowed over the years and uh, geez I I I, there's there's no way for me to measure the engagement uh, percentage in this company but uh, I know we're much better than the, than the national average so we're very very proud of that
0: is there anything um that you found, purposefully or accidentally, that you feel is um, conducive as far as your management style, uh, conducive to making sure that people people do feel connected, um, yeah. that people are passionate, that there's you know they know what they're doing and they think it matters. You know,
1: uh, the art of management really is an art. What works for one person doesn't work for another. For me, I, I I'm just myself. I, I treat. Um, I treat the, the 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 lowest person, the totem pole, uh, with the same level of respect and kindness as I do, uh, you know, my right-hand person. And I think people can can see that it is genuine that it, we care for them. We care about our employees. We care about our guests. We care about our vendors, our, our crew on board the ship. Um, we pay people very well. We don't have any turnover here. Like I guess that's the best indication mm. that people sure. are happy. Uh, no one ever leaves Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, whether you work at Oceana, or region Norwegian Cruise Lines. And so to me, that's very gratifying that people enjoy their, their jobs here. They wanna bring their f- friends and family members to work here. Um, and, um, and one of the reasons I think that we have a competitive advantage and why we beat uh, much bigger competitors in the, in the more important financial metrics, um, and we do that year after year, is that our employees are engaged. They're they're happy. Um, You can't be your best if you're unhappy. And I like to think that our employees are happy. Um, And um, uh, it's a combination of, again, showing respect for them, treating them like adults. You know, there is no time clocks here. I never bet check you. I don't care if you show up to work or not. As long as you you get your work done. done. I don't care if it's osmosis or or (laughs) magic. I don't... Uh, So we treat people with respect, we give them flexibility, we realize that, you know, life happens, family always comes first, we pay well, Uh, we give people a lot of responsibility and more importantly the authority to, to act on that responsibility and that makes everybody happy, they feel fulfilled and it makes our customers happy because you don't have to go through a lot of red tape to get an answer on, on something, especially when it comes to shipboard life. Hmm. Um, I saw, I've i seen it too many times where something happens in the ship and you're told by ship personnel, well, when you get back home, you can call the office. That's, uh, that's no, I, I want it resolved on board the ship, you know, instantly. And uh, that's what good customer service is all about. And, and we have great customer service. Um, And the best example of that is, and I mentioned to you we lead the industry in all these financial metrics, Um, over 60% of our guests on any region cruise are repeaters. Over 55% at Oceania and 40% at Norwegian. Those are incredible statistics. And the best indication to me that the product and service we're delivering is of excellent quality. And of excellent value, because if there wasn't, all these folks wouldn't be coming back time and time again.
0: Certainly. So it, it sounds like um, from the inside out is kind of from what I'm picking up the way that uh, the way that things work here. To to maybe paint it very simply, uh, make yeah. sure that uh, people in, inside are happy, know why they're here, and and you know and not keep that here. machine oiled on the, on the outside.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's. This company has a great foundation. This is not a a veneer that you're... This is not a a mirage. This is solid. And um, and the same can be said for those folks on board. I mean, I I have great respect for the 33,000 men and women who work on board our 26 ships worldwide. Um, They're uh, away from their families. They can't go home at 6 o'clock every night. The ship is their home and uh and we want them to feel at home on board our ship so we do everything we can to treat them with respect with dignity pay them well pay them above average so they can move up in the world uh nothing nothing thrills me more than see a housekeeper uh, move into a um a waiter's job or a waiter becoming a maitre d' or the maitre d' becoming a the food and beverage manager and the food and beverage manager becoming an assistant general manager and a couple of years later becoming a GM. I mean that, that, and it happens all the time. Um, we'd love to, we have one of those, one of those core values is we want to promote from within. Uh, this is the family and we want to take care of the family before we bring in a new family member.
0: So there are, um, first as a very brief aside um, it is you know I, while I can't speak from first hand experience, uh, I think most people with any understanding of um, how how lines operate would say that yeah working on board is that's rough, long days you know away yeah. from family months at a time so uh certainly the recognition of that from uh, from the top down can can only be a good thing so uh so i I'm sure that's appreciated you know every um every
1: three months we um, recognize the crew who have been here um, three years, 5, 10 15, 20. I personally sign every one of those certificates. Um, it's the least I can do to show that's very you cool. know our gratitude um, It's not stamped, it's not preprinted it's my signature on. It,
0: so. that's very neat. on, on the um, you, know, you can keep as, uh, as happy as of a house as possible, keep everything as well-oiled as possible. There are of course um, outside things, you know, just the direction of uh, consumer demands, you know, get guest demands and, and what's happening in the world. Um, so if it's okay, I, you know, I'm curious about some of those and your thoughts. Um, one of them, just a couple weeks ago, I saw you speaking with uh, Jim Cramer and you were talking about Instagram. And for those who who didn't catch the interview, uh, you said, we're now building ships with the understanding that Instagram is something to deal with. Uh, There's another cruise line out there that recently started tours of Instagrammable spots on their ships. Um, CLIA noted Instagrammable cruise travel as their first point on on a long list of industry trends. So... Again, that being one of the things on the outside that, that now, okay, inside, we have to move our, our operation to account for guest demands, trends, pop culture, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, um, I guess a couple things. One, what are some of the other things that you've identified as trends that uh, any of the the NCLH brands are, uh, are working to, I don't want to say to cater to, but, you know, working to surf? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, technology is becoming a greater, greater uh, force in our lives. Um, and, I, and I'm one of those who don't want technology for the sake of technology because it, instead of being a tool, it becomes a hindrance. But take, for example, the latest cruise ships that we've launched on, on Norwegian, the Norwegian Bliss, Norwegian Joy, and the upcoming Norwegian Encore this coming November. So imagine a thousand-foot-long racetrack atop the ship. Double decker, twelve turns. Two turns are banked and cantilevered over the side of the vessel, and ten electric race cars can can speed up to 40 miles an hour. That is the funnest. I mean, these are not your grandfather's cruise ships. Um, the, the, the lines are long and deep and and and, 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 and everybody wants to go on these racetracks. Or we now have galaxy pavilion on three vessels. So imagine a gymnasium-sized room with every um, um, virtual reality or enhanced reality game, the best of the world, whether it comes from the U.S., Germany, Canada, uh, England, um, is on these ships. So technology is becoming uh, more prevalent. Um, As we design the next generation of cruise ships, um, we're integrating... Uh, the best we can, uh, the latest technologies, whether it's voice, uh, AI, more virtual reality. So technology is, is important. Um, uh, cuisine is important. It used to be you, you'd go on a cruise ship and you'd get off a week later, 10 pounds heavier. That's not what people want today. Uh, and so you have all these restaurants. On board some of our bigger ships, there's over 25 restaurants, even on Ocean and region vessels that carry 700 packs um there's uh five six seven restaurants on board all very very high quality um I'm convinced that if Michelin uh rated our restaurants on board Ocean and Regent they'd get one two maybe even three stars they're that good they don't compete against other restaurants at sea they compete with restaurants on land But at the end of the day, you're on vacation, and this is the hospitality industry, and people expect flawless service, attentive service, um, and uh, that's what we aim to to provide uh, with the hard work of our 33,000 crew members.
0: You mentioned, um, clearly technology is the the underlying trend there, right? Across, uh, safe to say, across all parts of the cruise industry. I remember having a conversation with someone several years ago about uh, about a luxury cruise brand website, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't the most friendly experience, and that in fact it didn't work well on tablets. And somebody said, "Well, what does that matter?" And I said, "Well, you understand, it's you can't say that the average guest, because of age or anything else, is outside of having interest in you know in technology. That's just you know it, it applies equally." Um, that in mind, the way that technologies are are used and and what actually gets built may be different from line to line. And um, when I look at um, lines like uh, NCL and and some of NCL's uh, more direct competitors, I see a lot of um, superlatives that that people are going for, right? The the first racetrack, the fastest uh, roller coaster, you know, and I understand why. Because one, these things are neat. Even if you don't personally care about some of these things you go wow that's that's cool (laughs) um two it makes you know it makes people interested and perk up when they might not have been interested in that before uh so i completely understand that and i do find it fascinating i can never imagine what's going to be next every every time i hear something it's it's a shocking to me as i'm sure it is to to so many others uh in the in other parts of the market when when we look at ocean and region um do you have any feel for what um what the competitive points are there? You mentioned cuisine. Yeah. Um, again, technology still certainly something that uh, applies. But I'm I'm wondering how do you uh, how do you apply that in a in a way that differentiates you from, from other um, you know yeah. ultra premium and luxury brands? It's a
1: different uh, market segment. You know the 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 general rule of thumb is that the um, that the higher end brands, the luxury brands. Uh, appeal to an older and certainly more affluent market than uh, a more mass market line like Norwegian cruise lines. And so the customers who are in their 60s and 70s, as opposed to 40s and 50s on average at Norwegian, um, they're not necessarily looking for the racetrack or the rock climbing wall or the uh, um, uh, walk the plank and all that. just that's not for them. So what is for them? Um, First of all, they're they're now in a stage where they stop accumulating stuff, and they want experiences. And so itineraries are very, very important to them. They want to see the world. And uh, one of the best ways to see the world, one of the most efficient ways, safest way, most comfortable way to see the world, is on a cruise ship. That's why on Oceana we have a 180-day around-the-world cruise. 180 days, six months, on board his cruise ship, and you go around the world and see everything. I look forward to my invitation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sit down. It's always sold out years and years (laughs) in advance. So itineraries are very important to these folks. These folks, uh, for the most part, um, enjoy and demand top-notch cuisine. And that's why I said the restaurants on these ships warrant Michelin consideration. Um, They want incredibly attentive service so the ratio of crew to guests is much higher almost double what it is on a norwegian vessel um and and one of the things that's oftentimes overlooked is that they enjoy the company of like-minded people who are on board that vessel so when you have a 700 passenger vessel uh Twelve hundred passenger vessel compared to four or five thousand at the at the other extreme. Um, there's a sense of community, camaraderie, um, and, um, and and friendships have um, have blossomed. I remember my parents, uh, two of my parents' best friends today. They met on a cruise. Excuse me. Um, you know, two decades ago. Um, so it's a slightly different emphasis. Um, uh, Technology probably takes a little bit of a backseat at OCEAN and Regent, but, uh, but not when it comes to the websites. Uh, uh, these uh, more mature folks who go on OCEAN and Regent, and I now qualify as one of them because I'm 64, um, you know, um, the Internet became a thing, what, 20 years ago? Sure. More or less, yeah.
0: In, into into more mainstream, right? mainstream culture, Twenty yeah.
1: years ago, well, I was forty-four back then. I had to adopt it, and so today's sixty-year-old is not the sixty-year-old of yesteryear Absolutely. who were uh, abducted by technology, and, and they and many of them turned away from it because they, you know, too old to learn type of thing, and they're not today. Um, uh, you know, 67-year-old folks are very, very well-versed in technology, and they demand it because it makes things easier for them. I don't think my wife has gone Christmas shopping into a mall in years because there's something called Amazon and Rulala and all these. And, and I think my my groceries get delivered uh, through, um, through drones or something. <laughs> so uh, mature Americans, mature people worldwide... Um, Um, You know, use technology as much as uh, younger folks, but perhaps slightly different.
0: So, um, we we talked about Ocean and region just now, and of course, being a numbers game, many more people, of course, are familiar with Norwegian Cruise Line. Yeah. Uh, Just, again, numbers game, right? Two and
1: a half million people sail on on Norwegian. Wow. Uh, 300,000. A year of sale on Oceana as an example.
0: Is there something um, if you could pick uh, one or two things for the Oceana and Regent brands that you feel are um, standout qualities um, for for those who who aren't as familiar? You've certainly talked a lot about them, but like what maybe even just personally, one or two things of each brand that you go, yeah, that that's what I like. Yeah, well, it starts
1: with the ships themselves. These ships are just pristine. We baby them, we spend <clears throat> whatever monies are necessary to make sure that there are no soiled carpets, there are no torn uh, poles. I mean they are in perfect condition and they have to be in perfect condition every day. Um, the itineraries that they go on are really, really exciting itineraries. I mean, um, we, we go to all seven continents. Uh, they're longer, they're not three, four, five or seven day cruises are typically, on average 10 to 12 day cruises so you spend more time on board you get to relax you only unpack once and and so you can really really enjoy uh, the experience um, the food the food is just over the top I mean um, again uh, gourmet seven days a week three meals a day if you want it. Um, you want a burger you want pizza you want a milkshake for lunch it's there as well so the The cuisine variety is incredible. And one of the benefits of of joining forces with a company like Norwegian, uh, where we have, for example, the prestige brands were always known to have great cuisine. The Norwegian brand, not so much. Well, guess what? We have elevated the Norwegian cuisine um, uh, working in conjunction with their sister brands. By the same token, the entertainment on board Ocean and Regent wasn't, wasn't very good. But Norwegian was always known to have the greatest, the best entertainment. And so that has been elevated at the Norwegian brands. We have, we have truly uh, integrated the companies and used the oftentimes overused term of best practices. But we have. It, to us it's not a cliche. To us it's not just a soundbite. We have learned to populate, if you will, what each brand does best at the other brands.
0: It, I'll just say on a personal note, you, you mentioned so many times cuisine with uh, with Oceana, and uh, I've been lucky enough to sail on Oceana a couple times. In fact, uh, I was engaged on an Oceana ship, and uh, took uh, took we took our honeymoon on an Oceana ship. So um, <laughs> to figure out next anniversary so we can get back. <laughs> um, and yeah, the food being spectacular. And then you said about Michelin ratings and that. I've had this conversation with people before. I'm sure you've met people that have misconceptions about cruising or, you know, some apprehensions that may not be founded in any reality sometimes. Um, And my take, especially with experiences like Oceana, has been, well, imagine... It, you know whatever whatever type of experience you want the, the, the French Laundry. Okay, well imagine if the French Laundry was a, a you know a, a two minute walk from your house. Yeah, uh, and, that's true. You know, and and, uh, and Piazza San Marco was a uh, was a three minute walk from there. Sometimes yeah, you know, and it's free. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I certainly appreciate uh, appreciate that. Um, you also mentioned refurbishments, and, and if, uh, if it's okay, I'd like to. Um, Talk about something that impacts all the brands. I know Oceana is going in, let me know if I'm getting the name wrong, the uh, the project. Is it Oceana next? Yeah. The the fleet revitalization, yeah. uh, I think Insignia was the first to come in? Insignia was the first. Uh,
1: Serena is next, I think in the next few weeks. Then uh, Regatta later in the year. And Nautica will go in next year. Maria and Riviera, they're, they're almost brand new. We always keep them up. But um, you got to see Insignia. If I blindfolded you and dropped you inside Insignia and asked you where are you, you'd say, "Oh, well, I'm on a brand new luxury yacht or ship." I mean, it's over the top, fantastic. Um, we we spent you know over fifty million dollars on each one of these vessels, um, and to, you know, to spend that kind of money on a three hundred and fifty cabin ship is almost unheard of. Um, but that's why she's sold out so far in advance. I mean, today the company, the brand has you know sold nearly a third of the inventory for 2020. Um, people crave these 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 ships, um, uh, and it it's what it's part of the aura, mystique, uh, the lure of uh, of Oceania cruises. Um, you're going to be guaranteed to go on a ship that is has that new Ship smell. I mean, um, um, the, the service is impeccable. The itineraries are exciting. The food is to die for. And it's affordable. And that's one of the, the key things. Uh, an Oceania cruise is incredibly affordable, um, uh, given the, the quality standards that we stand for. I think a cruise vacation in general is incredibly uh, incredible value. Uh, the Norwegian brand for what it offers its guests at the price that it offers it at is an incredible value you you can't you can't uh, duplicate what we offer on a cruise at the at the at the certain quality levels um, uh, doing it yourself or doing it by land it's, it's impossible
0: certainly it's the, impossible. the per diems if you were to compare to whether it's all inclusives or, yeah. or other land based vacations it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get anything
1: comparable. And you know, the best example is it's a little bit of an absurd one, but it's true that 180 day around the world cruise, mm-hmm. the you can buy a, a, a cabin for for uh, per person, 50, roughly fifty thousand dollars for 180 days. People have told me that they couldn't live at home for 180 thousand dollars, including you know lodging, entertainment all your meals, uh, most of your beverages, not the alcoholic ones, but most of your beverages, um, medical care. I mean, it's it's a bargain. Uh, imagine if you had to go around the world, I think we visit on 180 uh, day uh, cruise, we visit around 110 uh, uh, different ports, having to hop from, from one of those ports to another 110 times, what your airline bill would be. Mm-hmm. So um, that just showcases and illustrates the value proposition of cruising that can't be matched. And that's why it's so popular. Um, You know, every ship goes out full on every brand. And every year, more ships are introduced, more people come on vessels. And every year, without exception, dating back as far as we, we, we used to keep records, at least 20 years, uh, every year, more people cruise than the year before, no matter what happens in the world. In 2002, following the events of 9-11 and 2001, more people cruise than in 2001. In 2009, following the financial meltdown of 2008, more people cruise in 2009. So there's, it, it's one of those build them and they will come because people recognize the value. And it's not just Americans anymore. You know, cruising used to be an American sport. Uh, It's no longer just an American sport. Uh, Roughly a quarter of all people who cruise in the world are not Americans. Uh, Canadians, Brits, Germans. Australians, big growing market, (laughs) Australians. South Africans, uh, South America. Brazil is a a big market for us, as is Mexico. And so it's it's become a global business, a global industry, and it's just going to continue growing. That's why we have 11... Ships on order. We have 26 in the water today,
0: 11 more coming. With that expansion in popularity, um, seemingly not only across international borders but across demographics, um, the we've seen you know the the cruise industry as a whole evolve to to accommodate more more people to to appeal to yeah. more people. Um, as you mentioned. There, there are more new builds on the way. I think uh, the order books right now, uh, according to most recent reports, uh, there's more tonnage being constructed for the cruise industry than at any time in history. Yeah, 140 ships uh, on
1: order through 2027. You know, that's, but yet, only 2% of the world's expenditures on travel is on cruise ships. Or let me put it perhaps this way. There are more hotel rooms in Orlando and in Vegas than there are cruise ship cabins in the mm. world's fleets. That's how small the cruise industry is compared to, for example, the lodging industry.
0: So with that, with that growth in mind, the, um, the increase in popularity, and yet the relatively small uh, capture are you eyeing? Uh, can you envision what the next um, market is that the industry will will tackle? Whether that's a a particular country, a particular group of people, you know, any feel for, for that direction? I think it's uh, you know,
1: China has been uh, uh, identified as a it's uh, the second largest economy now. There's 1.3 billion Chinese. We we uh, launched a new ship in 20. 20- 17 in China norwegian joy, and we pulled her out uh, a couple weeks ago um, She's being um, redeployed to Alaska um, Simply because we we believe that we can make a lot more money in Alaska than in China. So China uh, has its challenges um, but certainly there's a lot of uh, There's a, has a major coastline. There's a lot of people in China. The economy is keeps growing. There's a growing middle-class China someday in my view will be a, a should be should be will be a, should be a profitable source market um, India is perhaps the next one um, there there is uh, we, you know, the, the established cruise lines do very little business in India I believe someone just launched a a, a startup in India for the local market mm-hmm. so India also has a growing, Middle class, a lot of coastline.
0: So there's still a lot of lot of room for expansion. Yeah, a lot of room for there.
1: expansion. Uh, I think South America is an underpenetrated um, underpenetrated source market that is close to uh, the Caribbean. The Caribbean is by far the world's largest destination. So there's a source market and a mm-hmm. destination market. Um, but you know, my money is still in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, the US of A is the uh, country, the richest country in the world. Um, a growing um, um, uh, boomer population, uh, a growing millennial population. Uh, more leisure time is available to the American consumer. Uh, they're a sophisticated group uh, as consumers go. Um, and so, uh, to me, the, the US consumer is the most profitable consumer, one you can rely on, the one that the economy is the most stable. Uh, Yes, we'll go through ups and downs, recessions have not been abolished, there will be another one someday, but um, uh, the the U.S. economy is the strongest in the world, the most stable in the world, the one that will, I think, over the long run, grow more uh, on a sustainable basis, and therefore the people who live in this economy, in this society, are great targets for the cruise industry.
0: Well as uh, as someone born in the US and living here, uh, I plan on doing my part to, uh, to make sure that to uh, the, that bookings stay <laughs> stay full. So thank you uh, Thank, thank you, you Mr. Frank O'Real for your time. I sincerely sincerely appreciate it and uh, we'll have to do it again. I, I would love that okay. and uh, th- those are the follow-up items. Do it again and uh, and take another cruise uh, with Norwegian uh, and region. Terrific <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So that was our chat with Mr. Frank Del Rio, CEO and President of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. I want to thank him again. He was so generous with his time. I realize it's valuable. It was really an honor to uh, to, to get to chat with him. And I'll I'll tell you, I was so wound up when I walked into his office because uh, it, it's just it's a cool experience, right? And and these type of opportunities don't happen uh, very frequently. So I, I so wound up. I walk in there, and he was so pleasant, humble and down to earth, and and just really incredibly nice, as was everyone that I spoke with and got to meet over at NCL's offices. So uh, a big thank you to everyone over at NCL. Coming up very soon, maybe by the time you are listening to this podcast, we will be setting sail on Holland America's new Stottendam for seven nights in the Caribbean. Make sure you follow along with the live blogs over there. We'll be, uh, we'll be blog- blogging each day, sharing photos on social media, maybe even doing some live video. Excited to check out that brand new ship from Holland America. That and more over at cruisehabit.com. I also want to thank Jason M. Peterson for his recent review of the podcast over on iTunes. We're glad you liked the show, and it was a pleasure meeting Jason, actually, on a couple occasions. Uh, if you take the time to leave us a review, we will take the time to thank you. So please, however you're listening to the podcast, do us a favor, search Cruise Habit in iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. That's where it gives us the most bang for the buck, if you will. Um, make sure you are subscribing. You can find us on any medium. If you're listening on the website, put us in your podcast listener so you can uh, subscribe and catch all all of the episodes uh really if there's just one thing that i would ask of you though it's that if you enjoy the podcast if you enjoy articles on cruise habit videos etc maybe they're helpful to you um you, you find it great for planning you like learning about the industry or maybe you just like laughing at some of the foolish stuff that i say uh The one favor, share that content, share something that you like with someone else who will appreciate it. Knowing you enjoy cruise habit enough to share with others means the world to us. So thank you so much for listening and look forward to talking ship with you again real soon. Hi, this is John Bamber from Austin, Texas, a friend of cruisehabit.com. Be sure to follow cruise habit on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the Cruise Habit Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Search Cruise Habit in the Periscope app to join the broadcasts from ship and shore. They'd love to talk ship with you real soon. Also, be sure to check out a podcast that I co-host called Casual Movie Club. My friend Brian and I, we pick random movies, we talk about them, we rate them, and we just have lots of fun. We'd love to have you along. All are welcome in the Casual Movie Club. For more information, visit casualmovieclub.com or search for Casual Movie Club on iTunes, Google Play, or any place else you get your podcasts.